Welcome to weekly messages from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. Last week, we began studying the testing of Joseph. To pass the dream test, Joseph had to set aside human ambition and adopt God's goals. This week, he faces the test of the pit. Listen closely as Pastor Brad Wells uses this disappointing season in Joseph's life to explain why God allows us to face the pit test and teaches how he can use it to work in and through us. Here's Pastor Wells. Take your Bibles, if you would, and go with me to Genesis chapter 37, and today we're talking about Joseph. Joseph is one of the most developed characters in the Bible, and he is the grandson of Abraham. So it's uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, so I guess great-grandson of Abraham, and he is... um, He is a representation of how God develops us for the next position in life. Now, our theme this year is is making a difference. And so uh, that's from the book of Jude, which is really, really short, uh, just one chapter. And then verse number 22, kind of corresponding with 2022. Uh, But Joseph here is the example of a difference maker. And here he is, he's just a young guy, he's the forgotten kid, um, the brothers hate him. He, if, if you were to pick out the perfect family for a difference maker, you would probably pick out, you know, a dad and mom are smart and beautiful and uh, there's no divorce and there's no hostility and there's no... Um, I don't know, problems, and there's none of these weird situations and schizophrenic people in your house. and That's not Joseph. Joseph comes from a family, 11 kids, uh, 12, uh, well, 11 brothers plus Joseph, and then one sister. And there is, there's murder in the family, there's jealousy, there's hostility, and, and there's four wives, so it's polygamy. It is, it is not the perfect situation. It's one of the worst situations. But last week, we looked at the element, the first installment of the character of Joseph, and that is the dream. And God starts with the dream. Now, when we say a dream, don't mistake it for Joseph's dream. This is not Joseph's dream. This is God's design revealed to Joseph through a dream. And we had to remind everybody several times last week that not all dreams come from God. Not all dreams come from God. But this particular dream was from God, and really the whole family kind of knew it. But they held it against Joseph. And you are going to run into that situation where the things that maybe God gives you will be held against you. And here this great difference maker passed these character lessons with a uh, with a very successful test a triumph and uh, first uh, he enters into God's design and so it's a big up it's um God has selected me and the dream is very positive it's you know the sun moon and stars and I'm the center and it's the uh, the 11 sheaves and you all bow down to me so it's very positive he's prominent but now we go into the second element and test number 2 of the character lessons it's the pit and to this day we talk about uh, depression as I'm down in the dumps or I'm I'm in the pits and instead of a, a path of progress taking advancing steps towards the dream and the end, it's a disappointment. But it's by design. So pit, P-I-T, placed in trouble. And that's what God is going to do with Joseph. He's going to place him in trouble. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. But it's part of God's design. There is no better place to learn character 
to become the man or the woman that God wants you to be than in that pit. So it happens in, in Genesis 37. Now, we've read the first 11 verses, and interestingly enough, in the first 11 verses of Genesis 37, it mentioned the word dream or dreams or dreamer 11 times. So today we're going to start out in verse number 12 as we uh, take the shift into the element of, of disappointment. And you will have, I will have disappointments. Don't think, oh, I've got God's trajectory now. I, I have the dream. I have the vision from God. So it's all progress from here. That's not true. There, there is great disappointments around the corner. And, um, and God can get you through this character test. As a matter of fact, you really can't be used to make much of a difference unless you are different. And you can't be God's difference maker until you learn these very hard lessons. You've laid aside, number one, human ambitions, self-promotion, carnal fantasies, even the advice of friends. And, and now you are revived to the goals of God. You feel this dream. And you know it's got to be a God-given dream. And now we enter in verse number 12. Verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph. Now it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had his name changed by God to Israel. And uh, Israel had 12 sons. That's the 12 tribes. But originally his name is Jacob. And Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee to them. And he said to him, Here am I. Now we see the character that Joseph already has before his father. Uh, he's willing. He's a 17-year-old boy. And uh, he is open to God. It is a strange scenario that all of his brothers are out working in the field and he's there with his father. But I think that's actually part of the problem, the favoritism that his father is showing. Maybe his dad doesn't even realize the situation and the tension that he is creating in the home. But uh, let's continue on here. And um, verse number 14, and he said to him, go, I pray thee, to see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And this is, this is a fairly long journey. This is about 10, a little more than 10, a little less than 15 miles, depending on which exact path he would have taken. So it's, it's a good walk through, uh, the desert. Um, but, but think of this situation. Here's Joseph. He's the youngest and, uh, his mother, uh, was the pretty woman that, that his father wanted to marry and, uh, Rachel and, and the other brothers were, were these other women that were, if you know the story, he felt manipulated and tricked into marrying them. And so Joseph is really considered his father's firstborn. And he has this place of prominence. And his brothers hate him. And they hate him for the dream. And they hate him for the, the favoritism. And they hate him for the symbol of his coat. And his coat really made him stand out and be different. And this is all a picture of you and I as Christians. And God calls us not to blend in, but to stand out. And, and you are to be that difference maker. And, and you get that vision and that dream and it's exciting. But then, but then the disappointment comes in that not everybody accepts you. Now realize this. If you want to be accepted, you've got to be the same. But if you want to be respected, you must be different. And you've got to determine what you want in your life. 
just blanket acceptance, okay, then fit in. Or if you want to be respected, then go ahead and stand out and dare to make a difference. Now, verse number 15 launches us out, but I have not prayed and asked God to bless this message. So I want to pause here before we go on to verse 15. Father, we come before you and we worship you. We honor you. This is your word. Uh, this is your assembly. Uh, we are here to hear from uh, your heart, from your mouth. I pray that you would use your word and uh, these thoughts that I've put together. I pray that I would not misspeak or misstep, but everything would be in compliance with you and your truth and your word. Lord, bless each person. May each and every one of us receive something from you that we can apply in our daily lives. Challenge us, uh, strengthen us, direct us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, so far we have seen in the first three verses, 12, 13, and 14 of our reading, that a, that a father with hostility in his home, sends a 17-year-old boy about 10, 15 miles away to check on his older brothers. The oldest brother, Reuben, would have been in his 40s and then into the 30s and then into the 20s, all these 11 brothers. And here comes Joseph, 17 with his robe of many colors, and the Bible describes it in Hebrew as, as it has the word uh, wrist and ankle in it, meaning that it's a long sleeve gar garment, meaning it's significant, it's like our suit, which is very impractical. And it's what you wear when you're the manager and you're leaning on your hard hat and drinking your coffee. And then everybody else wearing the hard hats and have no coffee hold it against you. And this is the situation we find ourselves in. Why is a 17-year-old boy coming to check on 30- and 40-year-old men? And not just any men, his older brothers that already hate him, that already have this strife. Maybe it was because the brothers didn't know anything about sheep. Eh, I don't think so. Verse number 15, here comes Joseph. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? This is a strange verse. Joseph is sent on a mission. He walks these ten miles. He doesn't find a man and say, Where's my brothers? Where's my dad's flocks? He's wandering in the field. He's looking around. He's really a dreamer. I think maybe he's daydreaming out in the field. Maybe he's forgotten what he's doing. Maybe he's like, wow, this is amazing. Look at all this stuff. And he's wandering around out in the field. And somebody else sees him and comes to him. He says, what are you doing? What are you looking for? Verse number 16. And he said, uh, uh, I can almost hear him stuttering a little bit. And, oh, yeah, I'm not looking at these plants, these olive plants. And what, what am I? Oh, yeah. I, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed thence. They've left here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Dothan's down there around Alabama. And, uh, and Joseph went after his brethren and found him in Dothan. And uh, so, so here he goes a little bit further, and he goes on a little bit more, and then... Verse number 18, and when they saw him afar off, that is, his brethren. Now, think of these, these brothers. Here they are. These are men, men of the field. Uh, they're tending the flocks. Uh, they've got experience, years of experience, more experience than Joseph's been alive. And, and they're taking care of the flocks. And there's, there's large flocks, enough for a family and worthy of all these brothers to be out there working in these flocks. So this is not a flock of a hundred. This is a large flock. This is, this is worthy of uh, a bunch of men working out there. So you would have seen it. You would have heard it. But here the Bible describes that they see him coming. Why'd they see him? 
He's wearing that crazy coat. He is wrapped in the fabric of the favor of his father. He's out there and he is, I don't know if that was the best approach to be walking through the field in this coat displaying for all to see that I'm daddy's favorite. And uh, even at 17, here I come, I'm going to check on you, big brother Reuben, that is married and has sons of his own. And here comes baby brother Joseph out there. But look at this. Listen, this, this should just jump off the page or off the screen to you. Here his own kin, his own blood, they see him. And before he got too close, they plan out, they conspire against him to kill him. This dream has just turned into a nightmare. They are saying, let's kill the brother. This is a horrific thing. If, if we were watching a movie of this, they would enter the, the scary music and the tension, and it would be like, and people would be nervous and jumping. This is, this is a scary thing. They are conspiring. They are planning not to assault him, not to tackle him, not to uh, mess up his hair or tear his robe or give him Indian burns. <laughs> they, are, they are planning on killing him. They're openly speaking of killing their brother. This is, this is not a good thing. And here comes Joseph, and he's just walking right into it. Look at verse number 19. And they said to one another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. This dreamer. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him in some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. See, they not only hated Joseph, and here he comes again. And maybe Joseph is thinking, hey, my brothers, hey, I've got a dream for you. Hey, have you heard this dream? And they're like, Joe, we don't want your dream. We don't want you. We don't like your coat. We don't like anything about you. Get out of here. But it's already way past that. It's like, okay, let him come. We're going to kill him. This is broad daylight. This is not some temper flare situation. The sun is shining. The breeze is blowing. The sheep are eating. It should be a nice day. They should have thought, maybe it'll be different. But oh no, there's such hatred, such animosity, such incredible family tension that in the best of situations, they're saying, let's kill him. Let's kill him. So this is a bad situation. And this, these are the heroes of the word of God. Don't think the Bible is not practical. It is incredibly, incredibly practical. Don't get the mistaken idea, God can't use me. I mean, I'm not perfect. No, no, no. God's superheroes here are very normal people with very weird backgrounds. And so God can use you and God can use me. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, God can use you. God can use you. That's true. God can use you. All right. We're in verse number 21. Verse number 21. Is this starting to, uh, you're starting to be able to visualize this whole scenario? I hope so. And Reuben heard it. Now, Reuben is the firstborn. I think there's huge tensions between Reuben and Joseph. Reuben is the uh, firstborn of Leah, and Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel. So Reuben's the firstborn. He's the guy, but he doesn't have a nice coat. And he isn't basking in the favoritism of his father. That's Reuben. There's this tension. But here comes Joseph, and Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of his hands, out of their hands, and said, Whoa, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might, and here's the intentions of his heart, that he might rid him out of their hands 
to deliver him to his father again. Now, there's all sorts of pictures here, and your homework for this afternoon and later this week is I want you to see the amazing and beautiful types of the Messiah that are played out in this incredible story. And this is, this is a picture. Uh, Reuben here is, is playing a picture, um, both of the Messiah, and uh, he isn't able to fulfill that, and so he plays a picture of, 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 of failing and our own inability to deliver ourselves and religion's inability to deliver us. And verse number 23, and it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. The very first thing they did is they, they he comes in and maybe the sheep are gathered around. Um, I'm guessing that there's a fire and a, and a verse kind of indicates that there's a fire and, and, and there's maybe a little bit of a, a camp there and a, a nice place to be. And here comes Joseph and he walks into camp. And when he comes into camp, the brothers just jump him. And the first thing they do is they strip away this robe, this coat from him. Now that symbol of his favor, that most notable thing that he has, he's not going to just surrender it right away. I see Joseph getting tackled. I see his face getting rubbed in the desert sand and gravel. I see thorns and, and, and thistles. I see somebody punching him. I see him getting bloodied and, and beat up. I see anger coming out in the one brother as he tries to kick in and, and jumps in. This is not a kind, nice thing. We don't want to hurt you, Joe. No, this is, this is anger being released and unleashed here before him. They strip him of that coat. And verse number 24, and they took him and cast him into a pit. They didn't hoist him down into some cistern or, and this would be like a well or a water cistern in the desert. And so it's deep enough that he can't get out. They cast him in it. So that would be like probably 15 feet, maybe 20 feet, maybe 25 feet. And they threw him down there. So that's like falling off a two-story building. And he's going to fall. He's, he's, he's going to be hurt. It's very possible that his, his, his uh, joints would be twisted that he could break something, that his shoulder would be out of joint, that he hit his head, that he went unconscious. And he's laying in, the, in, a, in, a, in a crumpled pile of disappointment and pain and is spinning. What, what happened as this anger is released upon him? So the pit represents you and I and the character-building process that must come in when disappointments grab a hold of us, and they take from us the symbols of our favoritism, the gift that's given to us from our Father. And it says the pit was dry, so it's a dry place. You just come to a dry place, and there's no water. It's a dark place. There's no light. It's a place of shame. It's a place of pain. It's a place where you don't know what to do next. As a matter of fact, it's the place you can't turn this way or that. You have no more options. You're at the bottom. The only thing you can do is look up. And God places his people in pits, placed in trouble, so that you can not be destroyed, but you can be built up in the character that one can only learn in pain and suffering. Now, God isn't hating Joseph. The dream is not gone. Now, Joseph didn't get the dream, the, the chapter on the pit. 
Joseph got the chapter on, on the glory, the mountaintops, but the pit is the valleys of life. Now, we know that Joseph's going to Egypt. He's going to be second in command. He's going to be the prime minister. He's going to work in labor, labor for 80 years. He's going to have to pass the bully test. He's going to have to ta- pass the bribe test. But he would never be able to pass those now until he goes to the pit. And if you haven't been to the pit, hold on. You'll go to that dry, dark place where you feel trapped. There are no options. And it seems like everything that could go wrong has went wrong. Look at verse 25. Now look at this family. Look at this family. And they sat down to eat bread. (laughs) Here's the brothers. They threw him in the pit. They stripped him. They chucked him down there. Uh, Later on, we find out that Joseph is crying to his brothers. And he's, I imagine that he lost consciousness. The Bible doesn't say that. But at some point, he's crying out, and, and his voice is reverberating out of this dark vertical shaft or tunnel, and it's coming out, and his brothers are here. But what did they do? They sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead. Now, Ishmaelites, remember, it's Abraham, Isaac. Who was Isaac's half-brother? Ishmael. So this is descendants. These are the, this is the great uncle and their clan came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. So here comes this group, this band. Now we don't know how much time has passed, but we know they, after the deed, they sat down to eat and, and Reuben is planning to rescue his brother. And verse number 28, oh, and verse number 27, I skipped 27. I'm sorry, I skipped two verses, 26, there it is. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? You know, this is a picture of Jesus. You know, the word Judah or the name Judah is Hebrew. What do you think the Hebrew name Judah is in Greek? Judas. The way you would say Judah, if you are speaking Greek, is Judas. And Judas said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. There's all sorts of scenarios. Judas sold Jesus for how many pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver. Judah sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, the Midianite traders, for 20 pieces of silver, and they went down to Egypt. What did, what did the traders do when they brought Joseph to Egypt? They sold him for 20? No, they're traders. Traders don't buy for 20 and sell for 20. They would, they would get a profit. As a matter of fact, the average slave was sold in Egypt during this time, and there's records of it, is 30 pieces of silver. It's, it's very similar to the, to the story of Christ and how the Messiah rescues us. And verse number 29, and Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was in the pit, uh, was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, the child is not, and I, whither shall I go? Remember, Reuben is the oldest. And they took Joseph's coat and killed uh, and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Hey, we found this. 
Do you know it? Is this Joseph's coat or, or not? Notice they didn't tell the lie that they had planned. And he knew it. That is Joseph's father. That is Israel, Jacob. He knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil be And he, he has received evidence to confirm the lie in his heart. Now, this is a huge lesson. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Now, he is jumping to conclusions. He doesn't know this, and he is going to have to live with this deception for 22 years. And the evil brothers, oh my goodness, such treachery in their hearts to let their father cry and weep and live with this lie for 22 years. They had planned to tell this very lie. But as we said last week, uh, fear, fear is one of the big problems. And let me just try to apply this to your life. Fear is one of your big problems and, and one of my big problems. And fear, as Zig Ziglar said, is fa oftentimes false evidence appearing real. Fear. And here's some false evidence. And it appears real. You in your pit test, and Israel is going through a pit test. Joseph's brothers are going through a pit test, and Joseph himself are going through a pit test. They're all taking it. One person passes it. That's Joseph. And so he advances and goes on to the next level of life. The father fails because he believes the false evidence that appears real. The brothers fail it because they start living out their anger and hostility. And if you were to ask them, get a mic and ask them, now why did you kill your brother or throw him in a pit? Why did you, why? Well, they would have all these reasons. And if you listened, you would probably be like, that's crazy. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, how... How in the world can you live with such a dreamer like this that just flaunts the favoritism and the, and the hostility of the home? How can this be? And the dad just binds right into it. Verse 34, and Jacob rent his clothes. This is the third rending of clothes. We got Joseph, his clothes were rent, and then Reuben rent his clothes, and now Jacob rent his clothes, that is Israel, and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Now, next week, we're going to go into this next character test that we'll talk about, and we'll talk about the next lessons that we must learn. But here, we need to get very, very practical. So I've got uh, five specific things that I want you to hear, and then we will um, be dismissed. Now, the question comes up, why does God allow the pit? Why would God allow this? Well, number one, sometimes you're in a pit of your own digging. <laughs> sometimes you are in a pit of your own digging. Psalm 7 and verse number 15 says this, He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he had made. In other words, sometimes you've been digging this pit and you fell in this pit. It's your fault. It's nobody else's fault, and you need to own that. Psalms 9 and verse 15, the heathen are sunk down into the pit that what? They made in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. And this is a, a terrible uh, paradox that comes up where, where you mean harm to others, and it returns upon your own head. Psalm 26 and verse number 27 says, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein. And he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. One of my first little ministries that I had, I was teaching the fourth grade boys. I was just 21 years old, and an older 
um, man that actually taught me when I was in the fourth grade. His name was uh, Lyle Dean. And Lyle Dean organized this camp for, uh, this day camp for, for the fourth grade boys. And we went up into the woods and we hiked around and we came to a huge stone, huge. And he said, all right, everybody jump on the stone. We are all messing around. And he said, all right, now try to push the stone. We try to push the stone. It's humongous. We can't push the stone. And he got his Bible out and he read this. I'll never forget it. He that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. And the whole point was, be careful about the things that you're setting in motion. Once you get something moving, it's, it's another matter to stop. And you don't make the assumption, I can start this rumor, I can start this conspiracy, I can start something, and I will have control over it. No, no, no. Be very careful. So number one, why does God allow the pit? Sometimes we're in the pit of our own digging. And the way you got in is the way you've got to get out. Joseph was helped into the pit, and he needed to be helped out of the pit. He needs to, he needs to get out. Now there's two elements to our human makeup that makes us different. One is consciousness. Consciousness is self-awareness. Our own consciousness is what produces feelings. Now this is very key. The feelings we have lead to decisions, but the feelings we have come because of our focus. Now, a lot of discussion about artificial intelligence and the power of machines. The power of machines has nothing to do with consciousness. It has to do with intelligence or artificial intelligence, the ability to make decisions, fast decisions, quick decisions. And oftentimes, intelligence is disproportional to consciousness. The less aware you are of yourself, the more intelligent decisions you can make. But you need consciousness. You need self-awareness. And so the way we uh, test on social media platforms or on a website or something, is this a machine or is this a man? You, you test the consciousness and you know pick out in this picture everything that has a wheel or something like that. And, and so you have to, have to follow through with that. Now, when you're in the pit, we're talking about in the pit, and think of the feelings that Joseph is having. First, physical pain. But I think greater than a dislocated shoulder or, you know, abrasions or scrapes or punches or kicks or ribs or greater than thorns and dust in the eyes and worse than all of that is the rejection he has from all of his brothers and everybody just, just hating him. And he just felt the fury and the wrath of his family poured out upon him. By the way, that's a picture of Jesus Christ as he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus was rejected of his father as the sin of all humanity was poured upon him. And in that pit, and, and now we're thinking about us, what, how do I get control of my emotions? How do I get control of my feelings? It's everything with focus. Focus will equal your feelings. You feel this way because you focused on this. You must change your focus. That's why it is absolutely important, vital, to meditate on the Word of God daily. You've got to get in the Word. If you don't get in the Word, your focus will be wrong. And if your focus is wrong, your own feelings will be wrong, and your ability to make cognitive, intelligent decisions will be skewed because our own intelligence sorts out every situation. Is this punishment or is this reward? So Joseph, if he focuses on the wrong thing in the pit, is going to say, this is punishment. What have I done? And bitterness will come into his heart. Just like me or just like you. And so what he has to do, he must focus on the right thing. He must engage or disengage. 
and he is going to wrestle with condemnation. Now, the most famous verse in all the Bible is what? John 3.16. John 3.16. Let's bring that up here. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Son of God, the Messiah, is tied directly to everlasting life. Now, the next verse is key. Look at verse number 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to what? you got to say a little bit louder. To what? Condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Jesus was sent to be the Savior of the world, not to condemn the world. Look at the next verse, verse number 18. He that believeth on him, the Messiah, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. See, Jesus didn't have to condemn the world because we were already condemned. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We are sinners, and we are doubters, and we are rejectors. And the focus of Joseph in that pit is essential. And your focus in trouble is essential. Most people in trouble, most people in the pit, enter into self-condemnation, and they start replaying all the what-ifs and all the problems and all the scenarios and all the cause and effect, cause and effect, but they fail to see that God has a plan, and God can use a pit to direct you. God has shown through, through the dream there is a design, and there's something greater than you or this family, and he has to build us up. And there's no better way to build somebody up than to tear them down. And that's what the military does. You come in, and you've got your clothes and your style, and, and they say, okay, Let's take that hair off and let's take, you put on these clothes and we'll start from nothing. Oh, you think you're so good? We'll go take you down and you get all the way down and now we rebuild you how we want. And that is, that is what God does, must do to each one of us. Now, sometimes you're in a pit because others put you there. Sometimes you're in a pit that you've dug yourself. Others, Somebody else threw you in that pit. Joseph threw, was thrown into this pit by his brothers. Now, I want to say this. Blame can lock the door that is only closed. If you start blaming and accusing, those prison doors will lock. Now, it's true. You're in a pit. You're in a walled place but that place will close and lock with blame. Watch out for blame. And forgiveness sets two prisoners free. You must forgive. You must repent. You must change your focus to get out of that pit. Now, number three, God uses every pit for his glory and our good. Every pit. God can use problems for your good. Now, I want you to help me. And so say that to your neighbor. God can use your problems for your good. Go ahead. God can use your problems for your good. God can change those things. Now, I want to bring up Psalm 40. Now, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, it's just three verses. It's not that much. I want you to remember Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. Verse number 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That's what you must do. So what do I do when I'm in the pit? Number one, Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently. Remember, you're the favored child. It is true. He, la- he lost the fabric of his father's favor, that, that beautiful robe. He lost it, but his father didn't take it. And by the way, I think Joseph got a whole bunch more robes when he got to Egypt as prime minister. He probably had a closet as big as this room with all kinds of robes in there. So that token, don't get too upset about that token. The father didn't take it. 
and he can certainly return it. Stay close to the Father. Many times we get too fond or too attached to the gift and the token that God's given us. And God wants to wants us to be more attached to him, the giver of the gift, rather than the gift itself. Wait patiently. But secondly, cry out to God. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Now, Joseph comes out of that pit right after lunch. I don't think it's coincidence that this caravan comes right at that time. And caravans are large. They make lots of dust. Why did it happen that, oh, they lifted up their eyes after lunch. Here comes the caravan. Let's sell them. I think something happened in the pit. Now, I can't prove this, but I think it's exactly what happened here. He fell in the dust. He's all out of sorts. He's probably going through various scenarios of hatred, of jealousy, of lashing out, of pain, of agony, of self-condemnation. But I think he repented. I think he repented in the pit, and Lord, forgive me of my pride. Lord, forgive me of my errors, the things I've done wrong. And he inclined unto Joseph, and he heard his cry. Cry out to God. My friends, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. God can take any situation and turn it for his good. And his purpose is to deliver us. Now, Here's the next thing. Expect deliverance. Jot that down. Expect deliverance. Verse number two, Psalm 40 and verse number two. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit. Now, this is not speaking of Joseph. It's actually speaking of David. But I think it's a mirror image, and I think it's speaking of you and me. God can bring us up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he can set our feet upon a rock and establish our goings, our journey. God can deliver you. So wait patiently, cry out to God, expect deliverance, and receive direction. Receive it. Receive direction. You know, we get so proud. We get such a chip on our shoulders. We get so resentful. Listen, we've got to be humble. That's what the pit is all about. You are favored. God does want to use you. He has revealed to us his plan. We're looking to him. We believe in the goodness of God. But we've got to receive his direction. We've got to receive his detour. We thought it was just straightforward, but God has lots of detours. And it's not to hurt us, it's to help us. His purpose is to direct us. Now, in the pits, you will have many advisors come to you. They are well-meaning friends, sometimes parents, sometimes mentors, and they'll give you bad advice. Don't take the bad advice. Get in the word. I believe the pit is to wall off everything that's horizontal and get our eyes focused on the vertical, to get us redirected to God. That's what the pit is for. Now, maybe you're in a pit. Maybe it's a financial pit. Maybe it's an emotional pit. Maybe it's some sinful pit. Maybe I don't know what it is but God can use it. Now, verse number three gives us the last little thing here is prepare to praise God. You need to prepare to praise God and have put a new song in my mouth. I'm not singing the same old song. I've got a new song. What's the new song? Praise unto our God. Many shall see it. You know what? Joseph is a difference maker. Joseph is going to change the world. God is going to use Joseph to save the world from hunger. And God wants to use you. But I don't know that you can get around the pit. You got to go through the pit. It's not a fun place. It's dry. It's dark. But that's where God gives you a new song. Praise. And many are going to see it. And fear, that's the good kind of fear, fear of God. 
and shall trust in the Lord. I believe with all my heart God wants to use you. I believe God wants to use me. But you've got to trust God to develop the negatives in the dark. The Instagram generation doesn't have any idea what I just said. But the best photos are made on what's called negatives. And the negative is something that's backwards. The colors are backwards. Everything is backwards. If you looked at a negative, it wouldn't make any sense. This is wrong. And then the negatives go to the dark. When they come out, they're developed, and they're beautiful, and they're wonderful. Would you trust God? Would you trust God with the trajectory of your life? Number one, to set aside our own dreams, our own ambitions and goals, and say, God, what what is your goal and purpose for my life? And then number two, I'll go into the pit. I won't be angry and resentful. I think if Joseph was holding on to anger and resent and his teeth were clenched, some archaeologist would find some bones of some guy in this cistern out in the desert. But he got it right. And it was just about the time lunch was done. Let's get him out of that pit. God can use you. And in just a second, we're going to stand and sing this song. But I'd like you to bow your heads right where you're at. Just, I want you to be still. Now, this is the most important part of the message, and this is where I'm quiet. And you ask God, God, what do I need to hear? What's for me? And I don't, don't think about the wrong things. Ask God, God, how do I apply this to my life? What is here for me? And get something practical from God right now. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference.